0: What up, what up? All my scientists, my artists, my philosophers, my geneticists, my roboticists, my biologists, my archaeologists, my astronomers. Let's get busy. This has been busy from the first. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, this is Ben Busy broadcasting to you from Kyoto, Japan, we have a very special lineup today on the program, I know it's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you without a hard rhyme to step to, just kidding, it's my my little Rock Him joke there, Um, feel free to laugh in the audience, guests, it's okay, We have Linz Craig, founder of Questbotics, which is a tangible electronic education platform for children as young as three, Uh, Jacob Odur, who is uh, Program Director of Technology at Oysters and Pearls out of Uganda, as well as Phyllis Nasuna, Program Coordinator for the Women and Girls Program uh, there at Oysters and Pearls in Uganda. Uh, Louis Arana, of course, uh, executive director of Robots Without Borders and chief AI architect of the Luna AI. I'd like to welcome all of you to the program. Thank you. Thank you, you, Ben. You're welcome. Um, Let's start with Linz. Linz, where are you and what are you doing? Uh, So, I'm in Gulu, Uganda, and
1: I am working with the instructors here to do preparation and peer instructor training for our annual tech camp. This is the uh, let's see. Here. This is the fifth year I've been coming here and working with Oysters and Pros Uganda to offer uh, what is really a cutting-edge tech camp anywhere in the world uh, here in Uganda. Mm, and so I've we're working seen. to basically. Uh, sorry. <laughs> We're doing we're doing some of the training that needs to happen beforehand of, of the people and sort of logistics beforehand.
0: That's great, and you're able to draw on. For those who don't know, Linz has been on the program before. You can go back and take a look at the older episodes. But Linz, uh, for a time, worked for SparkFun out of Colorado. And for those who don't know, I mean SparkFun is like the premier electronics uh hobbyist or not even hobbyist I mean you have really sophisticated prod projects that are coming out of uh, or, or as a res- or, or resulting from uh, spark fund products so you you've been able to leverage all of the work that you did at spark and putting on these clinics Or this can yeah
1: definitely so yeah we're using uh some spark fund product of course we're using uh, just about anything we can get our hands on, donations that I solicit. Uh, we're really interested in helping to build the tools here. So, the most recent donation that we got from Lynn Engineering was actually a bunch of, uh, of, um, of high precision stepper motors that these folks will turn around to build CNC routers uh, here and then that way they can actually be building like their own motor drivers and things, starting to do sort of industry, uh, pre-industry scaled uh, education prototyping.
0: That's exciting. Uh, I'd like to, let let, let me ask Jacob. Jacob, how long have you been involved with Oysters and Pearls and can you let us know what is Oysters and Pearls as far as organization? Um, I've been with Oysters
2: and Pearls for two years now. Mm -hmm and um what oysters and pals is it's an ngo based in gulu uganda mm. that teaches technology to kids mm-hmm. both in primary school high school and at university level also and also uh, we also have a pro- a program for the blind and visually impaired students who are with scholarships and mm. teaching them technology too right? yeah i saw the, the uh
0: i saw the demo that you guys did you were you were using the Questbotics interface to teach uh these these blind students or these they're not are they students i mean these were, look like grown adults right they're just interested in technology you were teaching them how to program a robot using some type of braille modified version of the Questbotics palette i thought that was very interesting
2: so um, from the video, it was actually two different groups of people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There were students and there were instructors also. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the video, you will notice that there were some two people, Elizabeth and Jasper, who were giving out instructions and some others who were the students uh, working with the quest box.
0: That's great. I, di- I, I looked at the video, I'll include the link in our description, listeners, if, Uh, you would please click the link so you can get a sense of what jacob's talking about phyllis i'd like to talk to you next the program coordinator for the women and girls program approximately how many women and girls like what is the ratio of men to women and how much is the uh how much of of an issue is the gender gap in terms of technology education in uganda
4: so in, in so many technology education workshops, uh, you find like uh, uh, there's a very small ratio of girls.
3: Mm.
4: There's a small ratio of girls to boys. Like in our tech camps that we usually have, there's about only 30% of girls attending the camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Oysters and Pals put a program on able to engage only the girls. And currently we are running, we were running a program uh, called Technovation. Mm. So we're uh, working with girls, we are in schools around Gulu,
3: mm-hmm.
4: in high schools. So we're working with them to prepare them to, you know, uh, get a, a solution mm-hmm. for problems that are in their community. and find uh, a way to turn that solution into a mobile application and we took them through the different steps of uh, coming up with a product. Right. So uh, they were ideating and creating prototypes right. and researching and yeah.
0: That's so awesome. So that's
4: what the program is currently. Yeah.
0: So they're, they're actually farming, this is what I wanted to talk with Alec for for the listener Alec Resnick was supposed to join us today but he had a, a last minute emergency he'll he'll be on a later show but Alec runs a similar organization in out of Somerville Massachusetts and what they do is you know Alec he, he's M, he was he's an MIT guy he he uh, became I mean, I don't want to tell a story, but I think the long and short of it is he became disenfranchised with the way that education was being kind of packaged and and uh, and served to uh, to to students, and he he decided to you know take the higher road, and he div- he he opened this company called Sprout and Co. And what they do is they go out into the community, they they re- they they farm the community for. Uh, engineering issues or just problems that they're having, maybe some pain that they're experiencing somewhere. And then he leverages his knowledge of engineering, not unlike MacGyver, to uh, develop a solution. Um, uh, Lewis, in your work with the New York Public Schools, when you develop or imp- or, you're, or are implementing the AI, are you working with them to f- figure out like exactly what and look what their needs are or is this a is this a custom built solution or is it uh kind of top down
5: uh it's a little a little bit of, of, of 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 all of those um first i would just like to say uh awesome job to the oysters and pearls people i looked them up uh prior to the podcast and um fantastic organization i love what you guys are doing i know it's not easy um and it's I it's amazing work. So I'm really, I'm really impressed. <laughs> um, in New York City, we are, we have we have a a small pilot program with uh, with three different classrooms in New York City where uh, we put AI chatbots into the classroom and uh, basically use the data gathered to teach the chatbot how to teach the class. So they're uh, officially teachers' assistants and. Uh, they help answer students' questions in the classroom and um, help guide the lesson plan along. Provide some one-on-one uh, attention to students that may have you know a lot of students in the class and, and very few teachers. Um, and once we get the kinks out and uh, and figure out exactly uh, where the AI fits in the classroom, then we hope to follow the example of oysters and pearls and. Um, Get these get these educational AI systems into places where they're really needed most because of a lack of technology or infrastructure, or uh, a lack of teachers in general. What is so, the
0: true What is the true mission of Robots Without Borders? If you were to sum it up,
5: uh, well, we have we have three main branches. Uh, if I had to put it in just a couple of sentences, I would say Robots Without Borders is a nonprofit organization. Dedicated to the humanitarian, educational, and medical uses of artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, over uh, traditional uh, corporate applications of AI. Uh, you know that make you click on more ads or manipulate Wall Street to make that much more money for people who already have money. Uh, we kind of uh, the without borders is a little. It's, it's a little uh, the and it's the anti corporate AI. So, uh, right. yeah, we're trying to empower, uh, we we'll start at the, start at the bottom of society with the people who would benefit the most from technology,
3: mm-hmm.
5: uh, and, and, and uh, start there rather than most technologies, you know, the rich people get it first and then it trickles down to the rest of the population, say cell phones and computers. So we're trying to reverse that paradigm a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and give AI assistance to, you know, the very neediest people that we can find. And right.
0: Yeah. Linz, uh, you heard Lewis's story, obviously a nonprofit, you know, you're dealing with, you know, bootstrap situations where overhead is very limited and, or, you know, expenses add up. how, how does your organization or how are you funding this expedition or this uh, this educational outreach mission to Uganda and also for the oysters and pearls uh, representatives wh- how is how does funding work because obviously you know the 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 office space the electricity the the, the computers the technology it all has a cost how are you um, how are you what what are you using to kind of offset or defer those costs?
1: So I'm I'm here through a grant from Oysters and pearls Uganda, and uh, so part of my work is also helping the the I don't know what her position is president founder, <laughs> oh,
0: so head honcho yeah uh, <laughs> head honcho that's a great title. Yeah.
1: The founder and uh, executive chief of Oysters and Pearls Uganda, part of my mission is to help her figure out sort of how to create grant templates and how to gather data that might be useful for the various grant opportunities that are out there.
0: Okay. And this grant money, uh, ostensibly, this is coming from the American government, or is this from the Ugandan government, or is this some kind of combination?
1: This, this this is all uh this woman who founded it. in pearls uh oh, okay. so she
0: uh she's a
1: philanthropist and looking to do uh you know wonderful she is achieving absolutely amazing things here in new
0: that's awesome um, so it's,
1: it's kind of this one extremely strong-willed lady who uh just sort of helps techies fulfill their own dreams and then Um, teach those dreams to
0: others what what's her background can you give us a little background on her her name what her mission or what Where? like what her history is or is she from california did she make it big in silicon valley like what's her what's her 411
1: okay so I'll, i'll give a little bit of background but then i'm gonna let oysters and pearls uh people chime in a little bit so uh uh Her name is Sandra Washburn, and I met her uh, when she was looking to buy all sorts of stuff from electronics. Mm -hmm. And she originally came over here to work with the blind, and that's how she got into technology. Mm. Uh, She was an executive at, I believe, either a semiconductor or like a large technology company
3: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, in the 80s in okay, 90s, so, yeah, and 90s. so did fairly well. So. A power broker, you know, and all over the place, making deals. Her background is in um, mediation. Mm. And uh, so then she decided, as she, as she gets older, that she wanted to set up something that was sort of uh, her opportunity to not only um, see and, and become familiar with, with Africa, but also to make a difference with those.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, so uh,
4: so she has been getting funding from her Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and uh, she also gets like uh, people in the US who like uh, give uh, contributions like phones that we use during our trainings like computers and so many kinds of uh, contributions from the U.S. people, and yeah, she's also she keeps looking out for uh, different kinds of grants that can sponsor the work that oysters and PALs is doing. Mm-hmm. The other,
2: the other source of funding that we have sometimes are in-kind donations, like the one Lin mentioned earlier. On uh, he, he tries to always connect us with other tech companies and organizations. Mm. And every time he's traveling over here, he maybe grabs some pieces of electronics, companies, and you know donates them back to us here in Uganda. So that's one of the other way that we, that we are we have we are trying to fund our program. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we also have like the phones that Phyllis mentioned earlier on for Technovation are donated by T Mobile.
0: No oh, great. So there's corporate sponsorship yeah. as well.
2: Yes, and. Some others from her friends. You know, it's it's a very large, diverse pool of you know. But the majority of funding sometimes it's from her.
0: Okay, so the and money the money is one component, right? Now the brains are an entirely other component. So um, with Lewis, right now, full disclosure, I'm also working with Lewis for Robots Without Borders, right? Um, one of the things that we're looking to do right now is kind of like. I don't know. Lewis can speak to it more authoritatively than I can. But in terms of building a team, um, in terms of attracting or recruiting talent, I'd like to get everyone's impressions about how that's done, where you're drawing from, what kind of issues you might be running into in terms of finding qualified, motivated people who are willing to you know, sacrifice a little bit to really get behind something that could be really, truly extraordinary. Louis, do you want to speak to that? Uh,
5: yeah. For robots without borders, it it started as a one man operation. Um, and we're, and we're still, even though we've grown and got a lot of notoriety, we're still, we're still unfunded. And, uh, we get a little, we get a little help from from public donations and uh, private supporters, but but it is a little, and it really is a labor of love. Mm. Um, so it, it it can be very hard. We can't afford to hire a, a six figure developer salary. Right. Uh, but fortunately, <clears throat> there are a lot of talented people in the world, and so when I started reaching out uh, for help on a volunteer basis uh, for people to help me, really found the company. Um, a few people stepped up from all over the world, from India, from uh, Brazil, you know, from, mm. from, from various parts of the United States. Uh, so, so that's part of our developer pool, is uh, you know people who really uh, care about making a difference more than care about making a huge salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part is I teach a lot. Uh, I, I'm actually a teacher in, in New York City. Um, so I kind of use the teaching approach as well. And we bring in a handful of people, uh, who are entry level and threw them into machine learning and artificial intelligence. And, um, I find that, uh, someone with a passion to learn, uh, and, a, a dedication to philanthropy and humanitarianism is better than maybe somebody with a, with a much more experienced skill set. Um right uh so i i i i my part of my goal with this project is to really make it accessible uh mm-hmm. and so part of that is you know teaching people how to do it um you know so i'm happy to take you know say one of your developers in uganda and you know uh mentor them and tutor them in ai for for a couple of months and then send them back to their community and have them share and use that technology uh i find that that grassroots approach works especially for us because they like said we have we have zero corporate funding Mm-hmm. So it's it's really difficult. All our equipment is donated or or, or reclaimed. Um, One of the, on the things, other-
0: yeah. Just to insert here, uh, I wanted to name drop a little bit. So a friend of mine from college, Rachel Chong, she runs a company called Catch a Fire, which is an online skills based volunteer platform. And what she does is connects nonprofits and other social enterprise with talent that's just looking to help benefit the world so uh before we get to oysters and pearls and lynn's in terms of how they address staffing issues i wanted to put that out and and uh lewis we should look into that for robots without borders
5: yeah absolutely i'm looking at I, i'm uh i would love to meet with the oysters and pearls people too and see how we can help each other because like i'm really impressed with their organization and their mission
0: certainly uh lynn's and oysters and pearls. How are you, uh, Ph- Phyllis and Jacob? How are you? Um, are you guys doing anything with AI strictly? Like, is there is there an AI component to this educational outreach?
2: Um, as of now, we still don't have an AI component in our trainings, but it's it's something that we would very much be you know willing to to accept in our program in that over. Mm. Yeah. Yes.
1: Because let me just clarify, because we work with a lot of hardware here right. uh, and we're really, we're really just starting to branch out into strictly software because we started with, with was really strictly hardware. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about the Robot Without Borders product. I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking it runs on sort of a laptop or is it cloud based? What are the requirements for somebody who wants to dive into this?
5: Yeah, uh, basically, it's a cloud-based artificial intelligence platform. Uh, The the idea um, was to use it, uh, that it can be used on any device. So because it's a cloud application, let's say you only have cell reception and no data because you're in a third world country and there is no network and infrastructure for that, um, you could text back and forth with the AI as, as an interface. So you could use your phone or your laptop. Um, we do have a local version as well that's a little more robust obviously if you run it on a server or a laptop uh, it's a little more powerful but the cloud application works uh pretty pretty well especially that it can run you know our idea here was uh to build to build software that runs on obsolete and old equipment that they may have in third world countries because they don't have new macbooks a lot of them are doing self-builds and you know Refurbishing discarded equipment and right. using that, and using that, and sometimes a whole village can use just a single laptop, uh, and everyone sh- everyone shares it, kind of. Uh, so we want to make sure that our program can run on that, and uh, doing it as a cloud application that also uses the mobile network instead of purely the data network uh, is really helpful to that. I think this is why programs like One Laptop per Child failed because they tried to get a hardware piece. And, and it's very difficult to distribute hardware across continents but software you know anyone can go download it on their current device and start benefiting immediately so that was that was the plan but we, it, it's really interesting we started kind of the opposite of you all software very little hardware so uh, yeah I think we could definitely meet in the middle and put some great stuff out
2: great um, so uh, the, the back of you know the, the lessons that we have, we don't have a lot of high, you know, high power computers. Mm. So except for the computers that we use for teaching video game design, but oh, mainly we're using Raspberry Pis and PC Duinos for our trainings. But how you know how, how easy would it be to have these Raspberry Pi and PC Duinos on, on your platform? Because one of the other challenges that, um, that is there in Uganda. To a lesser extent, some a lot of countries that I know of is the internet connectivity and um, not not all people can afford to be over the internet every time, mm.
5: right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, so, the uh, we can run on Raspberry Pi right now. I have one on my desk here. Um, it's you know a little slower than we would have here in the states with a broadband connection, but it's usable pretty much anywhere in the world. Uh, and as I said, even if you don't have data, you could, in, you could interface with this AI through your text messaging, which is important because not everyone has data. Uh, so we try to make it as as, as independent offline as possible. But, um, you know, it's obviously it's better if you have Internet. The system can have its full computing power, but uh, you could use this in a place without any data connection whatsoever and still have some meaningful uh, interaction with it. So yeah, um, I'll I'll be happy to show you guys how to uh, put this on a Raspberry Pi. You would just need to run Linux and a traditional LAMP stack, as as any kind of e-commerce website sort of infrastructure, uh, and it'll and it'll work. It'll work just fine on there.
0: All right, great, awesome, thanks. This is great. Side I love part. the fact that uh, of- bringing these bringing you guys together, we were able to make this happen. What was that Lenz?
1: I was just saying I'll do a sort of side note. Uh, if you like, I'd also be happy to connect you to, to various people in Colorado. That's sort of the other I do outreach for Colorado and East Africa.
5: Yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. I that. think <laughs> in a practical way, if I sit with a couple of your guys, we could I could totally put them on the path of AI on a Raspberry Pi in a day or two.
0: Cool very cool um i'm curious to know about projects so phyllis among the girls that you've been educating what are some of the projects that you had alluded to there where they maybe have some issue either agricultural or maybe just some cool little idea that they wanted to bring into reality what are some of the projects that the girls have been producing okay
4: some of the projects uh The apps uh, were developed uh, uh, according to the UN SDGs. So they were looking at uh, eradicating poverty, you know, uh, ensuring that there is uh, equality, gender equality, and Mm. the the environment and education. So some of the apps included, like, uh, some team was uh, developing an app for uh, environment, so they were finding out, like, uh, removing too much waste in the community using an app. So they, they looked at being a company that collects mm. and manages waste in the Gulu town.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And the other uh, the other teams were also looking at uh, teacher absentism in schools. So they were looking over a platform that... Uh, uh, teachers can be able to sign in automatically
3: mm.
4: and, you know, the, the teacher, the, the admin, the school admin can monitor the teacher's performance and attendances. And then the other, uh, the uh, one of the other apps that were developed was uh, uh, to see that uh, people with HIV have uh, more distribution of uh, ARVs and easier Without any inconveniences, so they were looking at uh, those people being able to order for the medicine right. online, then delivering it to them. So because uh, we've had a lot of issues of people fearing, you know, to be seen out there, you know, making the line a tassel, and also most people end up resorting to death. Mm. So they're looking at a way of, you know, coping uh, with that another team was also looking at this uh, in uganda we have a lot of uh, mob justice like mm. something happened in the street and in 3 minutes someone is dead oh my god so uh, one of the teams uh, uh the the teams of the girls was uh, developing an app to see that uh, someone takes some shots during the scene like Saturday, they they, they 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 see that I Among mean, the authority. right, such as the authorities can be able to track what exactly happened and everything,
0: right, or ideally show up before anything happens to the person, because I assume like yes. anywhere in Uganda there is due process, right? I mean the mob justice thing, that's not, that's not what is supposed to happen. Yeah,
4: true.
0: Right. So um, they
4: were also educating people about the dangers of justice
0: that's great sounds like a lot of really cool projects are you getting a lot of support i know i know you mentioned the hiv app are you mm-hmm. interfacing with doctors at the local hospital are they helping you or is there any type of communication between you and them
4: so uh, initially it was just a prototype, but now we are in the process of getting them to work with the real people in the field. Mm-hmm. And also look for you know mentors that can mentor them in that direction. Currently as sisters and parents don't have any medical person on the team. Mm-hmm. So we are moving in that direction of making them continue with their applications and developing them further. Mm. Yes. But they weren't interacting with any hospitals yet. It was just looked at as a prototype.
0: Right. What is the uh, what is that prototyping or the like you said, you mentioned the ideating. What does that look like? And are you leveraging any of these lean startup tools like either the lean startup or the lean canvas or any of this stuff like what? How does that go down? Do you do you do concept maps? How does that work with the, with the uh, students? Either Jacob, Berlin's, anyone who's available. I mean, when the students come and they want to, you know, start a project, but they don't know what they want to do. What do you tell them? Like what? What pro? What does the process look like? All right, it appears that we've lost everybody. No, I'm still here. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we yeah, lost man. Uganda. Louis, how is, are you, man? This
5: is intercontinental chat here.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing that we were able to get as much as we did. We're back, Ben. Oh, yeah, back. Okay, good, yeah. So my question when last we left was, what is the... What does the process look like for idea generation? If you have a student or somebody that wants to, um, you know, come up with a product or idea, what does what the process look like that you lead them through?
4: So uh, we follow the Technovation curriculum and uh, the themes of the the. the The challenge for this year, as I told you, there were the seven SDGs, and they they were looking at poverty and education, Mm -hmm. peace, healthcare, and others like uh, uh, agriculture, Mm -hmm. equality, gender equality. So, uh, the the girls uh, discuss the problems in all those sectors and Mm. the they kind of zero down to, you know, what most affects the people in Mm -hmm. their society. So we follow that kind of arrangement. And once they have uh, figured out which problem they are tackling. So now they try to brainstorm on the different ways they could try to reduce that.
0: Awesome.
4: Yeah. So once, go ahead. Yeah, so they try to brainstorm on the different ways we can uh, uh, reduce on the problem, and -hmm. that's how they come up with the whole idea of the application. Mm -hmm. So they go into research and, you know, find out if really the solution they came up with is the best solution for for the problem. Mm -hmm. So uh, they also reach out to, like, the community, which is usually the school, because uh, it usually happens when they are at school, so they try to ask their teachers and fellow students and get feedback from them, mm-hmm. and then they can, you know, uh, adjust their solution according to the, uh, the the feedback they got from the people that they ask.
0: Thank you very much for sharing that process, yes. Phyllis. I'm going to have to look up TechnoVision. Jacob Berlins, what, what are the agricultural projects... And, you know, what have, what have you accomplished there? I, I want to talk about Marcin Jakubowski's open-source ecology and see if you guys have been able to leverage any of that civilization in a box stuff that he was doing. Um, in terms of agricultural pro- projects, what are some of the things that you've been able to do to help the farmers there in Uganda?
2: Um, so one of our staff members, Victor Carga,
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He's, uh, he, he's working... Okay, he, he designed a farm automation uh, prototype. And he awesome. kind of monitors you know, the farm, turning on water and off, and then also sending updates to you know to the farm owner without mm. the farm owner necessarily being on-site at the farm.
0: Mm. Mm. Is this yes, the so same uh, Victor that I met before, Lens? is this yes yeah yeah no victor's awesome um so how successful has that project been was it just a pilot project was it a prototype has it gone into full production you say he's monetizing it now what's going on with that
2: yes so uh initially when you spoke to him i think about that was january last year yeah yes uh there was a prototype but now a farmer has contracted him to go and install it at his farm.
0: Awesome! Wow, that's a yes. coup! Great for Victor, yeah. and yeah. great for uh, great for the organization as well. It's awesome, right? So, so he's doing like uh, uh, water automation. That's cool.
2: Yeah, I love stuff not just like really? the water, but he's uh, eventually looking at you know all the aspects of, of the i um, feeding the animals. Mean mm. the animals, all the things.
1: Yeah, so a big, big problem over here is um, sometimes there'll they'll be these sort of uh, diseases that get introduced from maybe um, either local or international sources. And because it's a one-time sort of catastrophic event on these farms, it's, it's difficult to track or figure out uh, what exactly caused it. So a big part of what Victor is doing is he is creating a system whereby you limit the amount of traffic that humans are going in and out and interacting with the actual animals. So you're minimizing the amount of contact that you get with sort of outsiders and people who can track in feces or, you know, organisms uh, in their sweat or what have you.
0: Right, different contaminants. My friend... um My friend Kevin Folta, who is a Ph.D. down at University of Florida, he uh, has a has a podcast called the Talking Biotech Podcast. And he had on a number of uh, bioengineers who are working on the cassava plant is in Uganda and trying to find out different ways that they could use technology to make it resistant to these kind of uh microorganisms these bacteria and stuff like that I, I'd be interested to connect him with you guys to see what might come f- come from that I'm really interested in the um, the agricultural uh, projects Lewis, do you think that there would be a place for Luna AI or what what would be your vector of approach in terms of leveraging your knowledge of engineering and technology to make agriculture better?
5: um uh so on
0: on the side um
5: i'm really interested in you know sustainability and i'm involved in tiny home movement and Mm -hmm. things like that uh solar power generation in remote areas water reclamation um it's nothing that we have specifically uh built applications for yet um Mm -hmm. but it's certainly well suited to it um so yeah, I'm I'm really interested. We just started working with an uh, Aquaponics uh company in New York here uh in doing some farm bot like tasks. Uh for example, an AI that uh you know, feeds your fish in an aquaponic system and harvests your plants every 2 weeks or whenever that particular species is is in bloom. Right. Um, but yeah, I think uh you know, there's so many uses for AI It's kind of to me like saying what are the uses of electricity and Yeah. Uh, I think what what both of these organizations are really about is just how do we leverage these technologies to help the most people. Um, And and certainly things like, you know, basic infrastructure and and basic living needs is going to be top priority. uh, Because besides education, what people need in you know in the most desperate parts of the world are also things like clean drinking water and shelter and uh cooking fuels and and some of the basic necessities of life uh, right. it's hard to learn something even from a robotic teacher on an empty stomach
0: oh absolutely it's mm-hmm. impossible you mm-hmm. have to uh you have to you know feed the people before you uh so we have
5: to have approaches multi-pronged approaches where like you know we bring not only education, but also basic services and humanitarian and medical and educational in one package or as tightly together as we can, so that you know we don't have medical issues because people are uneducated, we don't have education issues because people are hungry you know the, uh, those problems feed off of each other in a vicious cycle
0: right uh one of the one of the organizations that I'm uh doing some Japanese translation work for is the Future of Life Institute, which had an endowment in to the tune of like a billion dollars from Elon Musk. And uh, it's headed by Max Tegmark, who I believe is a professor of physics at MIT. I could be wrong with uh, with that. But anyway, the, the whole thrust of FLI is based on this philosophy of of effective altruism, right? We all want to save the world, but we all know you can't just throw money at the problem. You have to approach it like an acupuncturist. You got to put a pin right. in here, a pin in there, a pin in here and be very uh sensitive to not not only you know the direct effects of your actions, but also the unintended consequences that might go along with that. So a lot of the work they do is in uh, you know, friendly AI and uh, informing people or raising awareness about the risks of artificial intelligence. Now, granted, uh, we can talk about that because a number of those people that are the most outspoken against technology in the form of AI – uh, Are aren't involved in its creation at all, they're pundits. That's but I, I leave that for uh, I mean, that's that's a debate. So, effective altruism, um, Linz, you arrive in Uganda, you have a limited budget, right? The, how do you choose where to put resources and you know where to sacrifice?
1: Uh, it's really, really simple, Ben. Uh, I asked my Ugandan friends. So first, 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 you got to make some
0: friends. All right. uh, Step
1: one. Right. Step one, you know, and and that's not just, you know, meeting people in, in chat rooms on the internet beforehand. And then, you know, you get off the, the airplane and talk to them like Victor, Victor Kawaga. He and I spent four months where. I would say 75% of the time it was just he and I in a lab. And we both saw that each other shows up and we really um, kind of put in some time grinding. Mm-hmm. And so now uh, we feel comfortable having having those conversations and and I can ask the questions that I can sort of preface with like, hey, I might sound like, a, like kind of ignorant or I might sound like a jerk here, but I really don't understand this. Here's the information that I need. Mm-hmm. So really the sort of the interpersonal relationships are the foundation of everything, because otherwise um, I may be trying to provide a, a solution that isn't isn't the one that's needed. You know, I may be providing wrenches when really they're looking for scissors or chainsaws.
0: Mm. Right. So it's, you, you have to develop those personal connections. Then that informs, you know, where you can devote resources or what kind of resource to devote. That's a really important point. I think at the end of the day, this is all about humanity. And if we lose sight of the fact that the human is kind of... I don't know, for lack of a better metaphor, kind of at the center of this, because I don't like to think of it in terms of this anthropocentric thing where it's like, oh, all of us humans at the center and the natural world can just orbit us like we're the sun. I think that's an unhealthy way to look at it. But I understand in terms of actually making an organization and work, yeah, for sure, you got to put people at the center. Yeah.
1: I'm yeah. and like, and what do people want to work on? Because that's where they're going to do the best work. So Lewis isn't like he said earlier. He's not. He's not hiring the guy who just cares about money, mm-hmm. uh, and doesn't care whether they're working on, you know, uh, smart buildings or educational AI technology or uh, I don't know, addictive gaming devices, right? Mm-hmm. He wants to find the guy who or gal who wants to make a difference in education and. Because that's their interest, they're going to drive farther, harder, stronger. and They're going to find the connections that right. other people aren't.
5: Well, they should, like you said, they show up, and that's that's 90% of of this kind of work is just showing up. And whether you show up in the village or you show up in the lab, um, you know, money can't buy that kind of motivation. Uh, you kind of you know you need to, I guess, have seen suffering in the world or see problems in the world and. C- approach it with an engineer's mind of how can I mitigate some of these issues and the rest kind of falls into place if you show up
0: what stock do you guys put in if at all about uh larger scale top-down initiatives I'm sure that the Ugandan government has its own stem outreach program kind of similar to oysters and pearls maybe not so much uh how effective are those kind of government sanctioned Uh, programs, and have you had much interaction either with them or people at the universities in terms of doing this kind of outreach?
2: Um, So, first of all, there, yes, there is a government program for, you know, to support them outreach, but I would not say that it's so, so, you know, um, so, so much, because Mm -hmm. sometimes the government has you know, problems with resources I could put it like that, but yes we have um, university universities who we work with actually um, a very big percentage of some of the instructors that our programs are university students then also here in mm-hmm. Gulu we have you know a partnership with the university Gulu university mm-hmm. and so the the goal is that you know we we eventually work with them the university providing for us the you know, some of the instructors are at our camps, but then also us helping the university strengthen some of the programs that they have over at the university.
0: Right. That's great. So it's like, um, it's like a synergistic relationship. You've entered into this, uh, this, uh, this like positive feedback cycle where one is fueling the other. That's, that's good to hear. Um, in terms of uh, you know, I hate keep coming back to this, but in terms of like, like actual, you know, financial support, are the universities there, or are they there even just for supplies or things like that?
2: Uh, no, the as as of right now, the university doesn't you know putting money into our program.
0: Okay.
2: Yes. Uh, actually, where we are based at in if you if you look up you. Uganda on the map. Mm-hmm. We are further up north. Yes, and, and so sometimes, you know, some programs from say the government don't reach, you know, further up north. And even the university that we're working with, yes, it's a government university, but they also don't have so so much funding for them mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, spill over those funds into our program. Right. Another thing that,
1: yeah, if I can touch on another partnership, Uh, So, Oysters and Pearls has partnered with Nyaka AIDS Foundation in the past, and this is an organization that basically created an orphanage, uh, I think a couple orphanages, and a system so that grandmothers can take care of AIDS uh, orphans Mm. in the the West. And what happens is they send us, like, maybe two to three instructors each year, Mm. and then uh, also, maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven students. Mm-hmm. And a big part of what we do at the camp is educating instructors. And then we take the, the hardware donations that we get, and we sort of parcel them out to the people who are, like Lewis said, showing up and willing to go further in their own schools. So now, Nyaka, uh, we, we gave them sort of some raspberry pies, some PC Dorinos, uh, Jacob and I went there and t- did a workshop with some of their instructors, and the founder who has gotten a lot of attention, international attention, has now started—well, uh, he's not started. He's completed building a, a computer lab, an incredibly large computer lab. So this is this is not a government organization. This is an individual, and he is now outfitting that, and we expect there to be more partnership Sort of in that avenue, as he looks to oysters and pearls people for guidance on hardware training, etc.
0: This is great. It's really exciting to hear. It really sounds like there's something really seriously emerging here in Uganda that might serve as a model f- for um, you know nations across Africa. I'm wondering if there are any is if there is anything comparable to what you guys are doing in other African nations. I know you did some did you do a did you do a seminar or a clinic or some type of outreach in Somalia, Linz? Or were you just No, that was
1: Rwanda?
0: Or Rwanda. That was the uh, we Yeah,
1: we, we did a prototyping class at K Lab in Rwanda. And I believe Jacob actually might have followed
2: sort of followed that same path but on his own. I'll let him talk about that. Mm. Yes, yeah, so um, in terms of tech education, obviously there's, there's so much that as a country we can learn from Rwanda and Kenya. Uh, the, uh, the, the environment there is much more favorable for technology, you know, for tech learning and, and everything else because the, the government is so much supporting that. Uh, okay. Liz mentioned K-Lab. Uh, when I was in Rwanda, I also happened to pass by K-Lab and it's it's like uh, a maker space, but it's set up by the government. Oh, and I wow. think some of the funding. yeah, some of the funding uh, was from
1: from, from MIT. Uh, Carnegie, uh, maybe MIT and definitely Carnegie Mellon is on a level below. Them. That yes. might
0: have been part of Gershenfeld's initiative to set up fab labs around the world. I know that uh, he's that was a big push of his back in 2005, I think
1: yes and yes. Ac- actually uh, just yes. interrupt for a moment there is a maker there is a, a fab lab uh being created in kampala i know that the government is working with ugandan institute for research and instrumentation yes. along with fab lab
0: yeah yeah if there's just some well, way to network all of these organizations it'd be really cool yes
2: and, um, and and so I I also try to, you know, create contacts with the guys at K-Lab Rwanda and Fab Lab Rwanda. They're all located within the same building. And there's so much that as an organization, as a country, and personally as a tech educator, I can borrow from what they're doing over there. Mm-hmm.
0: In, the, in the last few minutes of, uh, of the program, I want to get everyone's impression about what they're looking forward to in the future, and um, where they see this all going, uh, Louis, you, did you want to start? Uh,
5: sure. Um, uh, so, what I see in the future is uh, a more democratized use of technology. I see uh, the penetration of artificial intelligence, uh, the way the cell phone has penetrated, and I think that will be of a great benefit to humanity, just as the cell phone has been. Um, you know, it's a natural. Uh, democratizing force, no matter what country it's in, and that's that's really why we have the Without Borders at the end because we really want to model ourselves on organizations like Doctors Without Borders and Lawyers right. Without Borders uh, to help those in need regardless of, uh, you know, whatever bureaucracy is in place. That doesn't mean obviously we will, will work as closely with governments, but at the end of the day, it's, it's people-centered. And, uh, you know, we'd rather feed a person directly than uh, rely on a government even a well-intentioned one you know it costs resources so we want to automate this the way they're automating every other job uh let's automate you know humanitarianism and i think that would be a huge benefit
0: to the world uh, long term that sounds awesome uh phyllis what about you what's your impression of the future where do you see uh the oysters and pearls organization proceeding in the in the into the future
4: um, how I see it is that, uh, like, if we continue to uh, impact impact this knowledge in uh, young people, mm. the technology knowledge and STEM, I think there will be more uh, more innovators and problem solvers because we have so many students who have gone through the, our problems. Uh, they are now like creating their own jobs, starting a stall in town, and making money out of it. And uh, because, like, our education system, it doesn't really help much, you know, uh, creating people who are thinkers and, you know, critical thinkers. Mm. With this program, if we uh, we continue with it, I see the future really bright for the next generation of Uganda. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Jacob, what about you? Um,
2: I think for me it's, you know, helping, there is, you know, there's there's a tech movement in Africa currently, and I, Mm -hmm. I'm really happy, I'm really honored to be part of that movement, trying Mm to, try to help other people access technology, Mm -hmm. because technology can, you know, can speed up development itself, if people are connected, if people have skills to, to create their own new tools. Things that they need to you know, to eradicate poverty, to advance their lives, maybe to access more knowledge. great, and to me, it's, it forms the bulk of my work that I'm part of that. I'm part of trying to, a larger movement, trying to change something.
0: That's a beautiful thing. Lynn's final thoughts? Sure, yeah. Uh, sort of
1: as an individual, uh, just listening to people's thoughts and dreams on this, like like all of you guys, and then taking those small, tangible steps like uh, putting the Makey Makeys that I brought over here into the hands of Ugandan DJs, for example, or an hour after this podcast, we're going to go see if we can fix this guy's laser cutter in Gulu so that That's we can
3: awesome.
1: so we can level up our tool chain. Um, and then Questbotics is doing a similar thing, but sort of as a force multiplier uh, with young kids, our goal is to teach... Uh, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds algebra in the tangible form and basically make it so that the people that Lewis, Jacob, and Phyllis are working with uh, just get smarter and smarter. We want to make all of these technology firms, we want to give them access to a more uh, informed, intelligent, and hopefully uh, morally driven population by giving them, you know, more more education younger because they can do it. They
0: just uh, need the tools. That's awesome! What a great mission. I was so, I'm so ins- inspired to hear from each of you and. Uh, I'm really looking forward to having you guys on the program sometime in the future. Uh, there are things that we didn't get to that I'd like to discuss like cryptocurrency and things like that, how those are how that's playing into day-to-day life in Uganda, but we'll have to table it. I want to thank everyone for joining, Lynn's Questbotics founder, Jacob Odur, uh, program director of Technology for Oysters and Pearls as well as Phyllis Nasuna, Program Director or Coordinator for the Women and Girls Program, and Louis Arana, Executive Director of Robots Without Borders. Um, I'll include links to everyone's websites and uh, I'll include a link to the video teaching the blind how to program the robot. Uh, really inspirational. I want to thank everyone for coming on the show.
5: Thank you. Nice to meet everyone.